You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore that app. Well, we got a full lineup today of things to talk about. Nothing that is super unbelievably important or uh, newsworthy. No big Aaron Rodgers news, nothing like that. Obviously, there's no football going on right now. But we got a big, uh, big little list here. Big, big, big little list. You dummy. You think I'm a dummy because I don't know the big words, right? But anyways, why don't we go ahead and... Well, you know what? Let's start off with, uh, quickly, a reminder about the Palmer Home for Children. If you look at my Twitter, pack underscore daddy, or go to the Packernet Podcast Facebook page, you'll find a place to donate to the Palmer Home for Children. It is a charity that I'll be raising money for now through Labor Day. Every little bit counts. All right. Start off with some news around the league. First and foremost, the Detroit Lions have announced that they will now allow full capacity. Not that it matters. Stadium's going to be empty anyways, but uh, it's good that they're at least allowed to if people decided that for some reason they wanted to show up. It's great news for Packer fans. I feel like for some reason going to Detroit to watch the Packers. I mean, obviously the reason would be to root the Packers, but you got to go to Detroit to do it. I don't know. Probably just probably just pick a different game. But that that's just me. Detroit Lions team president and CEO Rod Wood says, quote, we have long awaited the moment where we can officially declare we will have 65,000 fans at Ford Field this fall. You might have 65,000 fans of some team. You will not have 65,000 Lions fans. Obviously, I'm just messing. I'm, I'm sure they do a great job filling up the stadium and whatnot. I'm, I'm just playing around. Um, as far as the Aaron Rodgers situation, the latest information still is him saying, you know, I got to figure out, I'll, in a couple weeks, I'll figure it out. Which again, I'm pretty sure just means I'm just going to be quiet for a couple weeks until I decide, that's air quotes, that I'm coming back, which has already been decided. Just my hunch. Again, I don't know that. Don't you go throwing a hissy fit if that's not the reality. I'm just telling you, that's certainly what it seems like. In fact, if you look over at PFF, uh, they're kind of talking about bets and odds and all these kinds of Vegas things for uh, the NFL. And their little snippet down below says the Packers remain off the board for almost all betting offerings as we wait the resolution to the Aaron Rodgers saga. Goes on to say, if any sports book is offering what team Rodgers will play for in week one, the Packers appear to be an absolute lock based on the latest information. Now, that's just PFF's opinion, I guess. But again, everything right now, in my opinion, points very heavily to he'll, he's going to be back. There was news about the Washington football team, and the good news is we will not have to say Washington football team ever again, apparently, after 2022. In fact, I may just rename them this year. It's not a bad idea. I think I'm going to do that, because it's, it's such a stupid thing. The whole thing is so stupid, and I just I don't want to participate in it anymore. 
So we'll just, as a group, come up with a name for the Washington whatevers, and that's what we're going to do. But anyways, uh, they will have a new name in 2022. Apparently, they will not have any sort of name that has anything to do with Native Americans, which, let's be honest, that's kind of hilarious. Because <laughs> it's just, I don't know. I mean, I know, but I'm, I don't know, people crying about it. For example, they already said we can't say warriors because apparently somehow warriors is a Native American thing, even though it's not, but it could be. And then somehow that's offensive. I don't know how, because it's not a derogatory thing. But again, anything Native American is off the table. Wanted to say, quote, uh, this engagement demonstrated to us a consensus that moving forward with no ties to Native American imagery is the right path which I think is fair, right? You know, you get burned, just just, just leave. Don't dabble with it, right? They even went on below and they're like, oh, I got some ideas. Um, red tails, red hawks, like, nah, flying too close to the sun. I, in my mind, red tails and red hawks still feels Native American. You should just go with, I don't know, like uh, bank vault or something. You know what I mean? Like there's no way it could be tied to Native American anything. Just stay away from it. You just You just have to. Them's the rules. It is going to be interesting to see what they come up with now that they're going to be super sensitive about stuff. Because especially in 2021, there's almost... there. I don't know if there's a word outside of, like I said, just objects like Bank Vault, although banks, capitalism, I don't know, we're kind of, kind of getting into iffy territory here. Usury, you know? Don't want to exploit animal names, flora, or fauna. I wonder if doorknob would be okay. Although doors are used to keep people out. We're talking about exclusion. We're all about inclusion now. I don't know if we want that. Wind, maybe? Although that could be misinterpreted with Native American also. But like LED. Washington LEDs. Light-emitting diodes. Can't be anything wrong with that, can there? I don't know. I literally don't care. I just don't want to call them the football team anymore. I'll call them the Washington stupid fat white guy who eats pizza and drinks beer all day long football team. I don't care. I just don't want to call them the Washington football team anymore. So be on the lookout for that. Uh, get in the Facebook group. We'll be looking for new names to call Washington. And that will be the official name for the rest of the season. I'm also open to any other suggestions for other teams that we should rename. Not necessarily because they're offensive, but just because it would be funny. Anyways, with my um, daily search of lists, it was actually kind of a turnaround day for the Packers. They didn't really get beat up at all. In fact, there was a list here. Top, uh, what are we looking at? Nope, that's not the one I want first. Need a new producer. Um, this is by Tyler Sullivan of CBS Sports. NFL's most overrated teams ahead of the 2021 season. Here's what you need to know. Packers didn't make the list. 49ers, love it. Broncos, never had a problem with them, but there's been a lot of talk, so I, I love it. And Patriots, glorious. Rams, <laughs> I disagree, but I love it. Keep keep it coming. Tyler Sullivan, man, he's he's turning things around here. Now, we'll get to the Rams in a little bit because there's another thing that I wanted to discuss in which I'll bring that up, but um, I'll be honest, I like the list. I, I don't, I understand how the 49ers could be good, but I'm also tired of them perennially being considered a massive contender, and they've basically basically been a garbage team every year except one in Shanahan's tenure. Like, straight up trash. And you can come up with all the excuses you want, but if you're a betting man, and you've bet on the 49ers more often than you haven't, You've lost a lot of money, and if you come into this year saying, oh, I'm betting on the 49ers for sure, you're an idiot. Like I've said with the Bears and everything else, this is a wait-and-see proposition for the 49ers, so any amount of hype is nonsense. And, and 
And again, I don't even understand the Shanahan thing. I really don't. I understand he's intelligent. And I understand that there's probably the reason he's probably so well liked is because a lot of people sit in the room with him and they're like, this guy's this guy's incredible. Right? There's a chance Matt LaFleur sits next to him and is like, this guy knows more than I do. He's he's smarter than I am. He's really smart. That's pro- that's probably a reality. And so they understand what he knows and you know, he can write textbooks and all kinds of stuff about offenses and but his teams have not been good. And so I don't care. At some point you got to produce. And uh, on top of that, they they have a brand new quarterback, and we got to see how that plays out first. They have a brand new quarterback that uh, did not necessarily play for a very big school, so he's a candidate for might need some time to sit, right? Even Lamar, who did play for a big program, took him a year, right? Super athletic, that whole thing. Lance is real athletic. He's got an arm, but he doesn't know what he's doing. So yeah, that's definitely a wait and see, and they're definitely overhyped. The Denver Broncos. I don't know who's hyping up the Broncos. I didn't even know that they were being hyped. If Rodgers was on the team, fine. In the absence of Aaron Rodgers, the Denver Broncos are being hyped. They're a bad football team right now. And that might just entirely be because of their quarterback. But guess what? They didn't fix the quarterback. Well, they got Teddy. (sighs) Okay. Right now, there is a training camp battle between Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater. Do you think for one second, if Aaron Rodgers went to the Broncos, there'd be a battle? There would be no battle. They wouldn't even lie about there being a battle. Aaron Rodgers would leave the team that day if it was even hinted or alluded to that there would be a battle. The Patriots, again, who is hyping the Patriots? What, because they went out and bought a bunch of money on a bunch of nobody free agents? They got the top two tight ends. Ooh, yeah. And the the Raiders last the year before got the top two linebackers. How'd that pan out for them? They're spending like crazy because they have a bunch of money because they have no players anymore. They lost their quarterback. They lost Gronk. They lost everybody. They're losing Edelman. They lost the whole core of that team is basically gone, the exception of like two key pieces. The Rams, again, we'll talk about it. Eh. You know I'm skeptical about their certain pieces on their defense, but I'm going to say eh. But uh, again, the important part, Packers didn't make the list. For some reason, not packing, not picking on the Packers. Pack a picking, pick a pack a pick a pack peppers or whatever that is. On top of that, CBSSports.com, Cody Benjamin, top underrated NFC players on the verge of big paydays. Now, granted, caveat, he went through every NFC team, so he had to pick somebody, but I'm going to still call it a win. Not only did the Packers not make the most overrated list, which is shocking, Green Bay Packers offensive guard Elton Jenkins, he has listed as one of the most underrated NFC players on the verge of big paydays. And somebody did actually just reach out to me recently and say that this guy's getting massively... um, It was on Twitter when I was talking about all the disrespect, and somebody had mentioned that uh, Elton Jenkins is another one. Well, guess what? Here you go. Get that respect train rolling. He says, For all the talk surrounding David Bakhtiari and the departed Corey Lindsley, the Packers have another trench gem in Jenkins, who's quietly emerged as a first-time pro bowler in 2020 during Green Bay's vaunted offensive run. He's still a few years away from approaching the market, but on a current on his current pace, he's due to clear at least $12 million per year on a future extension. Now that sends shivers down your spine, but we don't need to worry about that right now. Point is, thank you, Brian Gutekunst, for continuing the longstanding tradition of finding elite talent for the Green Bay Packers. I feel the need to say that sentence because we've heard nothing but nonsense about how the Packers are terrible at drafting and getting weapons and all this stuff, which again has never been the case. There's never been the case. There was a very brief period where Ted Thompson had a bad run. There's no disputing that. Not even Packer fans dispute that. But it is a very brief period. And prior to that window, 
And even during that window for a long time, the media, because again, they're very slow to recognize things, were still just pray, heaping praise on Ted Thompson, one of the greatest drafters, one of the all-time great drafters, blah, 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 over and over and over and over, even as these draft picks were not going very well for a little while. Point is, though, after that window, they moved on, got Brian Gutekunst, and all signs point to, this guy's pretty good. But still, despite that reality, all we've heard nonstop for at least two years now is the Packers are terrible. They're, they, they're not good at getting talent. They're not good at getting weapons. They're not good. It's just the same old thing over. So I am going to continue to reinforce the narrative, which is true, that the Packers continue their longstanding tradition of analyzing, evaluating, and acquiring top-end NFL premier talent. Elton Jenkins is just one example in a long line literally line when you look at David Bakhtiari and the departed Corey Lindsley and Elton Jenkins, Brian Balaga, and now we've got a new batch of people, and we'll see how it goes. A very big batch. Um, the fact of the matter is, though, they've, they've had very good offensive lines for a very long time because they've always been very good at evaluating and drafting and acquiring talented offensive line talent like Josh Sitton and Lang. And Again, we, we literally had backups. This is one of the more frustrating things when I was the most mad at Ted Thompson. When he let go, he purged a ton of people. I mean, everybody's mad about Jordy and Cobb and all that stuff, but in that same time period, he got rid of a huge portion of our offensive line, including some of our backups, and those backups went on to be pretty solid starters on other teams. Guys like Lang. People get mad at me for towing the company line. I, I Listen, I call it like I see it, and when I don't like stuff, I say I don't like stuff. The fact of the matter is, there's really nothing I don't like right now. And I'm also one of those people that's always going to go to the opposite end of the extreme. If I'm generally dissatisfied with things, like let's say zero is neutral, 10 is couldn't be any happier, and negative 10 is just I'm ready to burn this thing to the ground. Even if I'm at like a negative two, if the fan base is at a negative seven, I'm going to sound like I'm at a seven because I'm just coming at it from the opposite perspective of you guys have lost your mind. So that's the other end of this. Not only am I generally satisfied with things, and, and by generally, I mean, I fully understand that we still have some time to fully evaluate what Brian Gutekunst has done because we haven't really had a chance to fully evaluate his draft classes. But just based on the information we know, I'm already kind of happy. Even if he misses on everybody else, it, it goes from being, this is great to, yeah, it was fine. It definitely doesn't go to, this is horrible. Again, his first draft seems to have been his worst draft, and he had no time to prepare. He was a brand new GM, had a couple months, didn't get to assemble his team, didn't get to put forth a, a strategy or any of that kind of stuff, and he picks the best cornerback, not just in that draft class, but in the entire NFL. Aw, oh, shucks, that darn loser. <laughs> but yeah, Elton Jenkins, another great example. And by the way, I never like the picks when he makes them. He never takes the guys I like, ever. So of all the, of all the reasons, I could easily be a very anti-Gudekunst person. But at the end of the day, I have to separate my own feelings. Like, some people can't. I hated the Rashawn Gary pick when he made it. Me and a bunch of people were very, very mad at that time. Probably something I said in that very brief window that caused me to be blocked by uh, Rashawn Gary. But the fact of the matter is, I was able to separate my thoughts and opinions on Rashawn Gary and say, okay, let's move forward and trust Brian Gutekunst. And I'm glad that I did, because all signs are pointing to him being a pretty good player. He hasn't officially broken out into an elite player, but he's decent with a ton of top-end potential, and, and et cetera, et cetera. So anyways, again, that's how I will be phrasing that from now on. But Elton Jenkins getting a little bit of love. Packers in general, no bad stuff. Also, I got a new Chrome extension because CBS has these autoplay things just like every other thing. I think it's working. I don't think that's doing that anymore, which is exciting. But it doesn't end there. It, it, it's actually, uh, there's two other, I think at least two other things that were fairly positive. This is via ESPN. This is ESPN+. Plus. 
Um, again, it's Jeremy Fowler, but again, Jeremy Fowler is just uh, asking executives and all that kind of stuff. So can't be too mad at him when his lists suck, lists suck and I can't be too praiseful when they're actually good. But anyways, um, ranking the NFL's top 10 quarterbacks for 2021, execs, coaches, players make their picks. By the way, this is via ESPN Plus, which is a paid subscription. Thank you very, very much to all my patrons who helped to pay all the bills. I uh, feel sick to my stomach because it's about, it's literally almost every day I get a notification of something else being taken out of my PayPal. <laughs> and it's like, no, what else, What am I paying for? I have a lot of subscriptions. So uh, thank you all very much for your support. It helps to pay for all that stuff. But you have Pat Mahomes, number one, Aaron Rodgers, number two. And I think that that's fair. I really do. In fact, Pro Football Focus did the same thing. They have PFF quarterback rankings, all 32 starters ahead of the 22 season, 2022 season. They have Pat Mahomes, number one, Tom Brady, number two, and Aaron Rodgers, number three. I think even that is fair. I really do. And I, I haven't been a super big Tom Brady fan. I should, it's not really true. Well, it, it's definitely true. I don't like the guy. But I've always said Aaron Rodgers is a more talented quarterback. But I think there's a lot of factors, especially in 2020, when you look at Tom Brady, not the least of which is his clutch factor. And I think that that's somewhat fair. I understand Aaron Rodgers won the MVP. I get all that. And I, I think either way, point is, I don't know that I agree. I'm just saying it's fair. And I'm not, I'm not going to look at that and say that's the most stupid thing I've ever seen in my life. If you look at the PFF grades from last year, Aaron Rodgers was a 94.5. Tom Brady was a 92.4. So he was right on his heels. On top of that, again, the whole clutch factor down the stretch I mean, he was just basically unstoppable. Now, granted, uh, Super Bowl against Kansas City was his worst, so that's not great. But um, against Green Bay, 85 overall grade. Um, against New Orleans, 75. But he had a stretch here where it was 90, 90, 93, 87. He had basically four elite games in a row um, toward the end of last season into the wild card game. So, I mean, he wasn't. It, it wasn't like a lot of older quarterbacks like you see with Drew Brees and with Brett Favre where especially toward the end of the season, he starts to slow down. He picked it up, um, and he just absolutely is, he's just, he's just un, he's an unstoppable force, and there's no doubting that. And I hate saying nice things about him, but that's just the reality. He's just an absolute force. So again, a little bit of love. Elton Jenkins getting some love. There's no disrespect in that article, and now you got Rodgers being ranked as a top quarterback. Now again, there's probably some Packer fans who say that's nonsense. He won the MVP, and not one has called him number one. Again, that's also fair. In fact, uh, Pat Mahomes, again, and this is all pointing to my assessment of the Kansas City Chiefs in that I would be a little worried if I was a Chiefs fan. Now, he did have a 92 overall grade against Buffalo, which makes me sick because I really wish Buffalo would have won that game. Outside of that, you know what his grades have been since week 14? This is Pat Mahomes, like one of the best quarterbacks we've seen fill in the blank. 68, 66, 51, 74, and 65 in the Super Bowl. He he didn't do very well. He basically only had two games that low the entire year, and he kind of just fell apart down the stretch. And again, down the stretch is when you started seeing the Chiefs do things that they had never done before. Remember, I was talking about how crazy it is that they lost to the the what was it the Raiders? I think by seven points, and that's the most Pat Mahomes has ever lost by in his career. And I said that's nuts. And they went on to like break that record like three times since then. They started getting not just beat but stomped on. So you know that's why I've been saying I I tend to think the Chiefs are less like the Patriots and more like the Seahawks. This real flashy, real dominant, looking like an unstoppable force that gets there but doesn't quite finish. And then over time starts to fall apart, especially when you factor in how bad of a, of a job drafting they've done since John Dorsey left. 
I see that being exactly like Schneider, where Schneider has done such a terrible job. They're just you have a quarterback dragging this team as best as he can, and I think that's what Mahomes is going to be doing for a while. So I, I, I'm not saying he's never going to win another Super Bowl, but I don't think he wins very many. And if they do, it'll probably be more recently, right? Like this year or next year or whatever, because while there's still talent on the team, but as the talent starts to erode, and Pat Mahomes is the last vestige of the original crew that John Dorsey built, I don't see it going well. We've got a couple suggestions here. I threw this up on Twitter for um, Washington football team name. Uh, Matt, I'm reading these live, so hopefully there's nothing bad in here. <laughs> and I don't edit very much. The Maroon Moon Sands. That's a tongue twist. That's just going to get me in trouble. You did that on purpose. The Contractually Obligated Monkeys. See, we got to be... That's We can't do that. The Dudes, if that's not inclusive enough. The Peoples. That's fair. Got to be inclusive. The Corrupt Politicians. I like that. Plus, then if you cheat, it's like, dude, that's... How are they not going to cheat? That's their whole thing. And you can have, like, presidents show up and get booed. Oh, that'd be great. I love that. The corrupt politician. It would be like a whole gi- You might as well, because you're a terrible owner. You might as well make a gimmick out of it. And people will show up and pay money. And you make a ton of money, not on wins. You're, it's, it's more like the Harlem Globetrotters. You know, it's, it's an entertain. Everybody knows who's going to... You don't show up because it's in a competitive match. You show up for the, the theatrics of it all. You know, you could have like a, an ex-Enron executive there or something if they're not in prison. Just be like, what's up, guys? I just, you know, just give them like free season passes. <laughs> oh, union executives, Koch brothers, uh, the Washington Bidens, kind of just kind of, you know, condensing it a bit. Washington capitalist propagandas. So we're covering the whole gamut here. Corrupt politicians, capitalist propagandas, propagandists, I think is what we would go with there. Um... Corey says Washington Redskins has a nice tone to it. It does, but I don't think we're allowed to use that anymore. So Slugger also suggesting Redskins, but again, it does roll off the tongue, but I think we're going to get in trouble with that one, so we can't do that. Matt says the Not Yet. Shout out to the Packers Without Borders podcast. If you haven't checked that out, be sure to do so. I don't know what we're going for, but I'm not calling them the Not Yet. David says the Wallabies, the Washington Wallabies. That seems decent, right? I mean, you might get PETA mad. But nobody cares. They're crazy. I'm sorry. If you're a PETA member, you're you're crazy too. And if you're not, then stop giving your money to crazy people. I don't know what to tell you. I don't care if we make PETA mad. In fact, we should try to make them mad. Maybe we should call them the Washington Wallabies are delicious. I don't know. I'm just I'm just throwing out throwing out ideas here. But that's where we're at so far. I kind of like the corrupt politicians thing. I think that's it. I think that's what. I mean, it, it doesn't roll off the tongue. It's it's you know we what's what's a more uh, snappy way to say it especially if it starts with a W. Washington, uh, you could just call them politicians because it's kind of redundant to say corrupt politicians. Just call them the Washington politicians. And you're just, you're like the heel in wrestling, right? Isn't the heel the bad guy that everyone's supposed to boo? You're just the heel. Let's just turn, I mean, we're already kind of turning the NFL into a circus anyways. You can just start having heels. Not teams that nobody cares about. I'm not talking, I'm talking about teams that people care about because they hate them so much. You need more of that. Kind of like the Patriots, I guess. They were a heel for a long time, unless you lived in uh, Boston. But even heels had fans. But the point is, it's just it's just a team that everybody likes to boo. And if they're the Washington politicians, I'm, I think I'm just going to call them that, the Washington politicians. We'll, we'll keep the, the phone lines open here, and we'll see what else people can come up with. But I just, again, it doesn't sound great. You know, or you'd like it to alliterate a little bit, like the Washington Wallabies or the Washington Wizards or the Washington Wedskins or whatever. Anyways, why don't we take a break? couple other things to talk about here. 
Again, please remember to check out the Palmer Home for Children. Every little bit counts. You can click on the button that says custom and donate whatever dollar amount suits your fancy. If you'd like to support me personally, again, to help out with the cost of the show and whatnot, uh, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy is where you can do that. We'll take a break and we'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So I kind of left you hanging with the uh, the whole Rams thing. You know, there was a big thing on Twitter about is Matt Stafford better than Dak Prescott or vice versa or whatever. Um, I don't really know the answer to that question. I guess I don't really care, but it definitely got me thinking. I really think the Rams could be a very, very good football team. I do think Matt Stafford has been a little bit underrated. I've been saying that about Kirk Cousins for a long time, and I think people mostly come around, but it wasn't that long ago when we were saying Kirk Cousins and Matt Stafford are basically, you know, 1A, 1B, or 6A, 6B, however you want to rank it. And now I think most people would say Kirk Cousins is good, but he's not like elite, and Matt Stafford is just some garbage heap quarterback. And I don't know where exactly that happened other than people hate Detroit and they realize Detroit is trash and all that stuff. Matt Stafford is a very talented quarterback. Um, he's not elite. He's not Aaron Rodgers. He's not Pat Mahomes. He's not Tom Brady. He's not Russell Wilson. He's not any of that, but he is in that second tier. Here's the other thing that's crazy though. So the Rams already got to the playoffs and they do have more issues than just a quarterback. It's not like, well, if you just give them a quarterback, then they're set. Again, I do think that they have some issues on their defense. They got 
solid corners. They've got the best defensive player, the best pass rusher, the best defensive tackle, all of that wrapped up into one guy in Aaron Donald. They've got some players, there's no question. Here's the thing, though. Here's the thought that kind of set this off. Let's, let's leave that all aside. Another guy that would fit into that tier, and, and you can rank them differently. I'm not saying they're the exact same. You, they're, they're better or worse than each other. But in that same kind of second tier is Matt Ryan. We've talked about Matt Ryan before because Matt Ryan, at one point, you know, now he's kind of seen as like, yeah, he's good, but whatever, it's who cares. The team is trash. He has some flashes, but he's got like one guy that can catch, and the defense is the worst in the world, so it doesn't really matter. And maybe he doesn't really have it anymore, which I don't think is true, but it doesn't matter, right? Nobody nobody gives him the credit that they used to back when they were the unstoppable force on offense. They were the unstoppable force on offense when things were a little bit different. Namely, the offensive coordinator was Kyle Shanahan, and his quarterback coach was Matt LaFleur. His new head coach slash basically offensive coordinator is Sean McVay. Now, remember, Matt Ryan wasn't just better that year. He was the NFL MVP. Aaron Rodgers, Lamar Jackson, Pat Mahomes, Tom Brady, Matt Ryan. That's the list of MVP winners going backwards. I I said something similar about Aaron Rodgers, but just to a different scale. I said, you know, you take Aaron Rodgers and the talent he has, and you look at Matt Ryan and what they were able to do with Matt Ryan, imagine what they can do. I'm talking they in terms of McVay, Shanahan, LaFleur, that, that group and that system and that offensive scheming and planning and blah, blah, blah. Imagine what they can do with Aaron Rodgers, and he blew up best year of his career. So now you take Matt Stafford, who was, was he a number one overall pick, I think? Incredibly gifted quarterback. Take him out of Detroit, which is an absolute joke. A team that has largely been run by defensive coordinators that can't build defenses. Offenses that, um, at best, you know, he had Megatron. They've never really had a run game. The offensive line has been up and down. It's been kind of a joke. There's nothing creative. There's nothing special. It's just, it's mostly just air it out offenses. It's run down the field and he's going to bomb it 70 yards to somebody. And a lot of times they'll catch it and they'll score and it scares the crap out of the Packers. And a lot of times they can actually beat the Packers and it's annoying and I'm glad he's gone. I'm not necessarily saying MVP. I'm just saying it kind of scares me a little bit to think what happens if he does have that kind of a year? What happens if he does have his breakthrough? Because we know that if you're a bad quarterback, it, it, it'll help. Like, again, with Goff, I don't think he's very good, but I think he even was able to... F- Remember, we saw Goff before McVay and LaFleur showed up. He was terrible, terrible, terrible. Sean McVay showed up with his offensive system, and Matt LaFleur was his quarterback coach, and he blew up. Not MVP blew up, but he blew up. And then Jared Goff started to go down. We'll say it was because of Matt LaFleur, because we're Packer fans, but who really cares what the reason is? Point is, there's a consistent trend of quarterbacks, especially guys that are in that first or second tier, really going to that next level. And if 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 uh, Matt Ryan can be the MVP in 2016, I think Matt Stafford can be very, very, very good. And you give him a possibly improved offensive line, a improved uh, group of weapons, a much improved run game, a highly, highly improved offensive game plan, offensive play caller, and probably the best defense he's ever played for. I think Matt, um, I'm getting all these names jumbled in my brain. Matt Stafford, Matt LaFleur, Matt Ryan, too many Matts. Matt Stafford could be in for a very, very good year. And if you take Matt Stafford and say Matt Stafford has not quite an MVP year, but he's up there, then he's tearing up the league. And he's always been a guy that throws for 50,000 yards. I mean, if he puts up 5,000 yards, it's, it's a it's not a big deal, even for Matt Stafford in Detroit. Joe Dirt is following me on Instagram. That sounds promising. 
Things have taken a turn for the better, ladies and gentlemen. I, I, I just think people are possibly underselling it, right? They're mostly seeing that as kind of a one-to-one. I mean, obviously, Matt Stafford is probably a little bit better than Goff. Plus, it's a better situation. But Matt Stafford and Goff are similar. Matt Stafford's going to be the same garbage Matt Stafford over in L.A. that he's always been. I don't think that's true. And you take Matt Stafford, and you give him a good year, and you give him a good run game, and you give him a—I mean, they were the number one defense in football last year. I'm not saying I'm terrified of them more so than other teams, right? I mean, if, if you take the team that we beat last year and put Matt Stafford there, they become scarier. I still think we probably win, but I'm scared. I mean, we have a hard time beating Matt Stafford in Detroit. Matt Stafford over there? I'm just saying, man. I would say that as far as the NFC teams, they should be very close to the top in terms of NFL Super Bowl's favorites. You got the Packers, you got the Rams, I would put them well above Seattle. Who else is even there, man? I know the Vikings are all geeked out. I, I, you got to put them up there, but I, I wouldn't put them on that tier. I'm not really scared of Dallas, although they probably are the best team in that division. New Orleans, I think, fall. Oh, Tampa. Duh, Tampa. Atlanta's terrible. Carolina's terrible. New Orleans is going to fall off. Arizona, maybe, but I, I still think they're kind of a joke, and San Francisco's got a lot of questions to answer for. I don't know, dude. Let's just put it, if somebody told me that they had LA as their top NFC team right now, there's a good amount of speculation there, but I get it. I get it, right? They had a better defense than the Packers. And again, if you can do it with Matt Ryan, Matt Ryan was better than Aaron Rodgers that year. Why can't you do it out there? I mean, they don't have Julio, but you know, Cup and Woods and whatnot, it's not a terrible group. And again, offensive line is pretty solid. I mean, the tackles, the tackles out there are premier. They always find a way to run the ball well. Again, they got the corners and whatnot on defense. It's just, I think it's going to be a good team. I really do. I do think the defense probably falls off just because, again, I don't, I don't get it. <laughs> Their linebackers are a joke. The safeties are not that good. Outside of Donald, that defensive line doesn't scare me even a little bit. They've basically got like three really good defensive players, but they were the number one. So I don't get it. But that whole thing with Stafford in a McVay system, it's, 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 uh, I wasn't too worried about the Rams last year. With Stafford, I am a little bit more, but we'll see how that plays out. Maybe it doesn't work out very well. Maybe it's, you know, maybe I'm wrong about the whole golf Stafford thing, and there actually are pretty similar quarterbacks, and Stafford isn't going to do very well. I don't know. He also is going to have to find a way to stay healthy. He's had some struggles recently, but I guess that's true of everybody, but it's something to keep an eye on. Anyways, I want to jump over to a question that I got. This is from a while ago. Uh, Ken Wayne asked, I believe in the Facebook group, he says, you've talked about how sacks are overrated and pressure is underrated. What are some other overrated, underrated stats we should pay more attention to any position? So first of all, just to clarify, because I've seen this recently on Twitter, um, somebody had made a similar point to what I made and somebody responded by getting mad and saying, you're telling me that, you know, uh, a pressure is more important than a sack. That's not what I'm saying. I don't know about the other guy. I'm not defending him. I'm not in any way, and I'm not saying you're implying this, but I just want to be clear. I'm not saying that a hurry is better than a sack, or that pressures as a whole are better than sacks, because pressures are comprised of sacks, hits, and hurries, and sacks are usually, context is required, much more important and impactful um, than any other kind of pressure, generally speaking. I will say there have been times when pressures and hits have been better than sacks, for example, Rashawn Gary has personally caused, I think, three interceptions with his pressures. I'll take an interception over a sack. I know that's not the intention, but again, context is required. So to be clear, when I say that I care more about pressures than sacks, 
it's it's from the standpoint of I don't think getting a bunch of sacks is indicative of being a very good football player. In other words, you can get a bunch of sacks and be a bad football player. You can be a great football player and not have a bunch of sacks. It's not a number that signifies how very, very good you are. Just to give an example, baseball. Let's say, I don't see, I don't know. It's terrible that I picked baseball, but let me just Google a couple things here so I know what I'm talking about. So apparently the record for home runs in a season is 73. Let's say somebody hits, I don't know, 65 home runs. I have a feeling that's a really high number. But every single other hit, or excuse me, every other pitch that wasn't a home run was a strike. I should get off this because this might, it might still be good. I don't know. We have to abort. All right, how about this? Most touchdowns in a season, Peyton Manning, 55. Let's say Aaron Rodgers threw 70 touchdowns, but every other pass was an incompletion, meaning he threw 70 completions on the season. Every other pass was incomplete. I still bet. All right, he threw 55 touchdowns, whatever. We won't say 70 because then you divide it by the number of games, and it seems like there's a good chance we won. Point is, it doesn't make you a good quarterback. All right, 55 divided by 17 games is about three touchdowns per game. That would be three completions per game. If he threw it 30 times, he would be three and 27. That's kind of how I view sacks in general. It doesn't give you a picture of how good a player is. Now, there's generally going to be some kind of a correlation because if you're good, you're expected to get a lot of sacks, although that doesn't always happen. Uh, There could be reasons why that doesn't happen. Um, And generally, if you get a lot of sacks, you're very good, although that's also not the case. For example, Kyler Fackrell. He was not a dynamo of a player, but he did, I believe, lead the league in, in sacks or tied it or something. I don't know what he, he had double digit sacks. I know that. And we didn't say he was the greatest. We kind of chuckled and we joked and we said, this is awesome and go Kyler. And, but we never said, dude, he just broke out. He's a freak. Did, did, did you realize he's now Khalil Mack? That's crazy. Nobody said that because we understand there isn't a direct correlation between the number of sacks and how good you are. And, and so in general, I don't like small numbers. Anything that involves small numbers, like forced fumbles. Well, this guy had three forced fumbles. Ugh, dude, it's three. You could, you could have a freak, you know, Peanut Tillman could have that in like one game, right? You, you could do that in a game and then never do it again. And it, it, it doesn't make any sense. Pressures, though, show more consistency. It also will, will kind of highlight it, it, it's more broad. Right? You can get five pressures in a game and get no sacks, and you had a pretty good game, but you didn't check the box of sack. So I think pressures give you a little bit more of a fuller picture. And so if I had to point to another stat, it would be interceptions. Interceptions are so fleeting, and if you can get you know, eight interceptions in a season, you had a fantastic season, and we're talking about one every other game. It's, it's such a ridiculous stat, which is why the whole thing with Xavier Howard. And again, it's to his credit and it's incredibly impactful and important um, for a game. But remember, I'm not talking about not impactful and not important. I'm talking about, is it an indication of how good of an overall football player you are? No. Because how many yards did you give up on a play-to-play basis? Same scenario. You could give up 500 yards and three touchdowns, but have two picks. Does that make you a good football player? Did you have a good game or did you have a terrible game? You had a terrible game. But two picks is a heck of an average. If you do that for a season, you're at 34 interceptions. You're probably breaking all kinds of records. It's not a very important stat in terms of identifying how good of a football player you are. Now, pass breakups, I do like a little bit more, but it's still fleeting. I mean, if you have 10 on a season, that's pretty solid. I think Jair had 14 last year, and that's incredible. So, And, and it's also why I do like the grades. I like the grading because it's all-encompassing. 
right? It, it, it takes in all the nuance, and stats don't have a lot of nuance. And, I, and I've said this before, there's kind of a sliding scale between stats and grades um, to where on one side it, you have what is definitive, right? A sack is a sack. If you tackle the quarterback with the ball in his hand, there's a sack, and there's no nuance there. With grades, you take in all the nuance, but there's no real standard, and you can really mess that up. You have to kind of, it's, it's subjective instead of objective. And so that's where the sliding scale is. The more you get towards subjective, the more you can incorporate all the information and you're getting a better picture, but it's also getting muddled, muddled by the fact that it's subjective somewhat. I mean, you, you, for example, PFF assigns, I think it's a two-point grading scale. Why two points? Well, how would the grades change if you made it three points? And where, where do you draw these arbitrary lines between a good throw, a mediocre throw, and a bad throw? There's a lot of arbitrary stuff in there to come up with these grades, but again, it brings in a full picture of what they saw. So you can have a guy that got two sacks in a game and he gets a bad grade. I'm going to trust the grade because there is about 40 or 50 snaps involved there, and the, and the stat only tells me two of them. And I know those two were good, but I, don't, I want to know what happened those other 38 snaps. The grades tell me not great. Now again, as you move more toward the objective, you're getting concrete information tackles, sacks, whatever. There's some objectivity in there. For example, uh, pressures and, and things like that. Uh, even, even things like how many yards you gave up. Well, whose assignment was it? So there's some subjectiveness involved in that. So it, the, the objective is good because there's, there's no subjectivity in it. It's concrete, in it, but it, it doesn't give you a full picture. And that's why I generally don't like stats. It doesn't tell you. It's just a number. Okay, what do you do with the number, though? That's the point. It's just a data point, right? It's like a, a data point without a collection of points to, to make a chart to look at. And you're just pointing at a single dot floating out in space saying, dude, look at that. Like, what? The grades are like a full chart, a full graph, a full picture. It's a dot without all the other dots to connect the dots. Dude, look at that dot, man. What, what about the dot? Ten sacks, pretty good. I guess, yeah. Pretty good, I guess. I don't know. So I, I guess you would say statistics in general I don't care about, but as a general rule, and this isn't always the case because there, there's some stats that are just not super important, but the bigger the number, the more I care, right? Passing yards. Passing yards are kind of important because quarterbacks pass. In, in, in those passing yards, you get every single game and you get multiple passes. It also incorporates, so, so you've got um, Completion percentage is involved in that because if you shift the percentage, the number goes down. If you have a slower completion percentage, given your yards per attempt, you'll have a different number. It also incorporates yards per attempt. If you take yards per attempt and attempts, you get your number. If you take attempts and completion percentage, right? So it takes into account all these different things. It, it takes, you know, like I said, yards per attempt. How far down the field are you throwing the football? If you're dinking and dunking, you're not going to have as many yards unless you throw the ball a bunch and complete a bunch of passes, but that also is another variable of you doing something good. The more good you are as a quarterback, that number goes up. And of course, there's, well, what about your wide receivers and all that kind of stuff, but that's sort of a general rule. Now, a sort of high number that I generally don't care about is tackles. It can be kind of important because what are we taking into account? I think the best thing you can do is look at tackles and your missed tackles, and then you take that total number and you look at opportunities. And you say, how did, how good did you do based on your opportunities? But just looking at a total number of tackles, that's silly. Because how many opportunities did you have? And granted, you're going to have some players that are better. You're going to have more athletic linebackers that have the speed to make a tackle that some other guy wouldn't. But Blake Martinez basically led the NFL in tackles constantly, and it had nothing to do with his athleticism. 
So there's always different reasons to explain it. And unless you have some context for why they're doing what they're doing, which again, you, you get that through grading more so than you'd get that through just raw statistics, you don't know, right? If you're, if you're playing in a true 4-3 and there's three linebackers there, you might not get as many opportunities. You know, if you're a strong side linebacker, you're going to be taking on a lot of blocks so that the weak side linebacker can flow around unblock and tackle guys. And that guy's going to have a higher tackle number, but he might be a bad football player. So maybe his, his number's higher, but he's not as good as the strong side linebacker. And if you're just looking at total number of tackles, you're not getting a picture. Again, there's just no context. It's just a number. What does that number mean? Well, it's higher. So what? Well, higher is good. Well, yeah, I mean, you want tackles, but I don't, how many opportunities? Well, he had 50 tackles. Okay, how many opportunities did he have? 100? Because that would suck. If he had 50, that would be incredible. I don't know. How many times did he have to shed, how many of those tackles did he shed a block to make a tackle? How many times did he beat the center, you know, when he's trying to get cut off to go make a tackle? That's, that's context that matters. How many of these tackles came after the fact? Where, did he make the guy fall backwards or did he fall backwards? Is he the kind of guy that just catches somebody and falls backward and gets dragged three yards? Because those are three, those are different scenarios. They all count as tackles. I mean, technically, being terrible in coverage and letting somebody catch the ball and then grabbing his shoelace and tripping him up is considered a tackle, but you still sucked at your job. Why am I giving you credit for a tackle? Why am I applauding this big list of tackles when I shouldn't be? Context. And again, that's why I like grades, because the grades give context. They look at the individual tackles and say, yes, you made a tackle, but you did a bad job. You get a bad grade. That's why I tend to trust the grades, even though if you go on Twitter and start talking about grades, people, oh yeah, PFF grade, blah, 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 blah. But they can't cite a single thing better than a PFF grade. They can't. If they even bother to cite statistics, they're not going to be as useful because there's there's a need for context. You know, I, I cite things like uh, passer rating when targeted for a cornerback. But if it's an overthrow, you get credit for that. If it's a drop, you get credit for that. If nobody throws at you, it's a passer rating of zero even if you had nothing to do with it, right? If, if by the end of the first quarter, they're just throwing the other direction because the other guy is a really terrible corner against their number one wide receiver, and they're like, well, he's just wide open all the time. It has nothing to do with you doing a great job. Maybe you're doing an okay job. Maybe you're doing a great job. Maybe you're doing a terrible job, but they're just throwing to the other guy, right? And then touchdowns have an impact. So, you know, if, if you, let's say this team likes to throw to tight ends in the red zone and you're not going up against tight ends. So you don't have any tight, you don't have any touchdowns against your record. So the, the passer rating isn't, isn't uh, great, but it's not terrible because it's, you know, 55 yards, no touchdown. Well, again, it's just the context means, it means so much. You know, let's say you gave up 70 yards in a game. That looks ugly. Was it 70 yards on seven different receptions because you were getting picked on? Or did you trip over your own feet on accident? Or maybe you tripped over your own guy and, you, you know, your guy came free for a 70-yard touchdown, but that's all you gave up all game and you locked him down the rest of the game. The statistics say the same thing either way as far as the yardage. 77 yards and a touchdown. But they're two very different pictures. One is you're clearly better, but there was a mishap where I tripped and you got lucky. The other is you just worked me all day and I kind of suck. So statistics always need context and we never have any. And again, that's why I tend to lean on grades, even though most people don't like them, because the grades are context. I don't know the context, but they do. And they graded them and they, they work those, that context into the grading system. And so I tend to like that more than the statistics. And that's why when you get into arguments and people are like, oh, you're an idiot. Look at the stats, dude. It's like, well, can you give me any context behind that? Well, it doesn't matter. Well, okay, I'm just, all I know is that they saw every single one of those plays. They saw every single touchdown that you're pointing to. They saw all the yards. They saw all that. They still gave them a great, bad grade. Why? Well, I don't know, because you're stupid. Yeah, probably not. Probably for a different reason. 
But and, and I'm not anti-stat. I think they're useful, but we just have to understand that they're mostly lacking context. And they can answer a lot of specific questions, kind of help us to understand certain things just depending on what our question is. And you can use them and utilize them. But just I think it's important to have that healthy context of understanding that statistics, number one, lack context, but then even grades and stats, there's that sliding bar between between obje- objective and subjective. And so, so you never get a perfect picture. You can't get a perfect picture. I prefer one way than the other way because I like context, and I'm willing to grant uh, some level of subjectivity over purely objective stats with no contact. So, but that's true of all stats. To answer your question, uh, just I, I just any stat that is a low number. When you end the season with five or ten or fifteen or even twenty, you know, even like passing touchdowns, like yeah. I mean, you can, again, you can get up there. If you got fifty-five, that's usually indicative of being pretty good. Or like if you had twenty sacks, all right. You, it's pretty unlikely that you're not a very good football player, but but that's sort of a symptom. It's not that you have to be or, or that there has to be some kind of a correlation. I mean, a guy that gets 22 sacks might not be as good as the guy that got 16, but the fact that you got 22 means you, you're up there. But we need the context to understand, okay, but let's get into the nuance of how good you are and when and how and the, all these different factors that go into it, right? It's, it's kind of the, the pass that gets you into the exclusive club. You got 22, all right, you, you get a free pass, Kind of like that, what is that, uh, American Idol or the other one where they hit the golden buzzer? I don't know. I haven't really watched those shows in a long time, but my wife and my daughter do. And they got the golden buzzer thing. Maybe that show's not even on anymore. I don't know. But the point is, it's a veto. You move on to the next round. right? Autumn, we're not even going to question whether or not you were good this year because you can't suck and get 22 sacks, and I'll concede that. But I still need a lot more context to know, are you good? Are you very good? Are you elite, are you a generational talent, or at least were you this year? That's where I need some context. That's where things like pressures come into to play to at least look at a more full context. Because sometimes guys don't get a ton of pressures, but when they get pressures, they tend to get sacked. And I don't know why that happens. It could be for a variety of reasons. Maybe they're just really fast. So if they're, if they're within vicinity, they're going to close and they're going to get you. Maybe it's some other freakish thing. Maybe it's because the other guys are there. And so while other guys have to deal with the fact that when they get pressure, the quarterback can escape, and this guy doesn't have that problem because there's nowhere to escape because the guy on the other side is also really good and the defensive tackle is really good, so there's nowhere to step up. So when he beats the tackle, he gets a sack every time. Again, you need context. Anyways, I think I'm going to leave it at that. Uh, You folks have yourselves a wonderful day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have yourselves a good one. Bye-bye.